Welcome to the Gateway Scottsdale audio podcast. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv. Now, let's tune in for this week's message. If you got a Bible, I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and put a marker in Luke chapter 5. Turn to Deuteronomy 6 and Mark Luke 5. We are continuing our series entitled Whole, where we are looking at the first dozen verses of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this is week three. Week one, we talked about the number one thing that gets in the way of, of us loving God with our whole self, and that is loving self. Then last week, in week number two, the title was You Must And we talked about obedience, where all throughout Scripture it says we must obey. The title of this weekend's message is is kind of, it's a part two to last weekend's message, and the title is If You. If You. And I want you to write this one-liner down because it's going to help calibrate your thinking for this entire message. God promises to reward you for your obedience. God promises, you understand how big that word is in about 15 minutes, he promises to reward you for your obedience. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 2, the second half of verse 2, since we already covered verse 1 in the first half of verse 2, says this, if you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then, or because you obey, all will go well with you, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. We're going to walk out this sentence that I gave you, that God promises to reward you for your obedience, and each point kind of relates to a part of that statement. Here's point number one. Rewards are not bad. Rewards are not bad. I don't know who is responsible for this, but I'd like to find them, take them out back, and whoop them. But some Christians got together at some point, somewhere along the line, and made it bad to get excited about being rewarded by God. They say things like this, I do it all for Jesus, Pastor. I don't need any rewards. I do it all for Jesus. Okay, what they're really saying is anyone who does it for any other reason than for Jesus is bad, and we're better than them. That's part of what they're saying. Okay, now I hate to burst your bubble. I don't know how how you see me, but if, if there's any kind of a bubble, I'm about to burst it right here, okay? I'm confessing one of the reasons I obey is the rewards. I admit it. I'm guilty as charged. One of the reasons I obey God is the rewards, and I would be a fool to see it any other way. Now, that's not the number one reason, but it is one of my reasons. And in fact, it puts me and anybody else who loves being rewarded by God in really good company. Anyone who enjoys a reward for doing good is in good company. Let me show you. The Apostle Paul. 
We all kind of respect him, right? We can all agree he's to be respected. The Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 3, verse 14 says, I press on to reach the end of the race. In other words, I'm going to the end. I'm going to finish this thing, and he's about to tell you why. To receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. I love this about Paul. He says, listen, I'm going to finish this thing, and here's one of the reasons I'm going to press through and finish, because I'm going to get a reward at the end of this thing. I'm pushing through all the trials and persecution, and there will be rewards by the end of this. Now think about this. Whoever made rewards ungodly, why did we give them so much power? Think about this for a minute. If rewards were ungodly, God wouldn't give them. (laughs) I know I'm not the smartest man, but... If rewards were ungodly, doesn't it seem to reason that God wouldn't give them? Yet we see all through Scripture, not only does he give rewards, he loves to give rewards. Why? Because rewards aren't bad. Look at this. Matthew chapter 6, my favorite chapter in the Bible, verse 6. Jesus says, but when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then... Or because you do that, then your father who sees everything will reward you. Do you know what this means? That you probably shouldn't mope about going in and having your quiet time so much. Jesus is saying, Preston, do you realize every time you go in to the secret place with the father, he's going to reward you. So the next time I ask you, how are you doing? How was your week this week? And you give me this answer. Oh, it was fine. I, had, I really had to press through this week in my quiet time. It was really difficult this week. You're getting a reward. How can it be that hard? Now, what kind of reward? I'm not trying to answer that question. Nine times out of ten, the best reward we could ever get is just being in his presence. I'll take that reward all day, every day. I don't need him to hand me money. Just come into the room I'm in. That's a reward in and of itself. We see All throughout scripture, God loves to reward. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Jesus says, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Be happy about all this. Be happy about it. Be very glad. Why should I be glad? For a great reward awaits you in heaven. Here's what you need to understand. Seeing God as a rewarder is actually an essential part of being one of his children. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, and it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to God must believe that God exists and must believe that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Anyone that wants to come to God must believe that he loves to reward those who come after him. And Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, really exposes an unspoken problem in the body of Christ. Some of you think that God rewards someone like me more than he rewards someone like you. This is epically problematic. Why do, I just think... God probably rewards someone like Preston because of what he does. Listen, that's not how it works. He rewards us all for our obedience. And and even worse is the problem that many people not only don't see God as a rewarder, they just see him as a judge. 
He's a judge. And worse than that, many people think that God is a judge who judges based on judgment calls, not on his word. In other words, he'll judge me a little bit more favorably because of what I do for a living than he judges you. I wish that were the case, but truth be told, he actually says, the person in my shoes gets judged even more critically. You can have my job. (laughs) Too many people see God as just a judge who judges according to judgment calls. In other words, he changes the rules based on who's in front of him. That's not what scripture says. The Bible says God does not play favorites. God is a rewarder. He loves to reward anyone who has the guts to do things his way when he asks for it. Let me illustrate this Hebrews 11 verse 6 because it kind of shows us something really important about the nature of God. If it says we must believe, if we're going to come to God, we must believe he's a rewarder of those who come after him. Do you remember when you were a kid and you'd go to the doctor for a checkup and they'd take that uh, rubber hammer and, and they'd sit you down on the table and they would hit you in the knee? You remember that? What happened when they did that? Right? The doctor never stood in the way because your body is created to react, right? What's it called? A reflex, all right? Now, here's... I'm trying to help you really catch Hebrews 11, verse 6. Let me give you a visual. The Bible is helping us to understand that rewards are God's reflex for your obedience. And here's what it looks like. God asks you to do something, you bring it to him. Lord, I did it exactly like you asked me to do. And here's what he does. Just like your knee. Here, Lord, you told me not to do this, and I I did exactly what you said by doing this over here. Here you go. Here you go. I'm not saying it's not controllable. Scripture's just helping us understand it's like his reflex. When you obey, his response is, it's immediate. Here you go. Here you go. Because God loves to reward It's okay to get excited about God rewarding you because rewards aren't bad. And if you minimize God as a rewarder, you are minimizing one of the favorite things he does. It's a part of who he is. Rewards aren't bad. Here's point number two. His promises are true. His promises are true. Have you ever had somebody make a promise to you that you really love. I mean, you love this person deeply. They make a promise to you and they don't keep it. Has that ever happened? Okay, if, it, if you're sitting next to the person who did that to you, just put both your hands. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> of course, it's happened to all of us. Someone we love promises us something and they don't come through in their promise. Well, what happens? How, how do we feel when someone promises something but they don't make their promise, they actually break it? How do we feel? Disappointed? heartbroken, angry, taken advantage of. But what else happens? We become a little more hesitant to trust, right? And if we're not careful, because one person breaks a promise, we're harder on everyone else who ever promises us anything, including God. Some of us 
actually believe that God struggles to keep his promises, and the only evidence we have is it seems like everybody else in our lives struggles to keep theirs. That's not fair, nor is it wise. Listen to me. The unfaithfulness of the people around you should not cause you to doubt God's faithfulness. The unfaithfulness of the people around you should actually cause you to celebrate the perfect faithfulness of God. And yet some of us hold it against him. And we don't think that he'll always keep his promises. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God, not everyone else, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Now think about this. But let's look at the other side of the coin. Have you ever promised someone something and you broke the promise? Anybody ever guilty of that? Okay, put your hand up. If, I mean, let's just, okay, look around, keep your hand up. Anybody with, without a hand up, let's just let the spirit of conviction fall in this place. <laughs> of course, we've all promised something, and we weren't able to keep it. And what happens when we're in that position? We become a little more hesitant to keep making promises because we don't want the person we make the promise to to feel the way the last person did, so we're a little gun-shy related to promises. Okay, that, that's humanity. But think about this. Depends on who you read and, and which commentary and which theologian you listen to. But if you kind of take what everybody says, there are nearly 4,000 promises God makes in Scripture. And think about this. If he breaks just one, he's a liar. Think about this. Now, if it were me, I'd maybe make three or four he makes nearly 4,000. Here's another way to say it. He willfully, intentionally obligates himself to nearly 4,000 promises. That's crazy to me. His promises are true. Psalm 110 verse 4, the Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. If you think God is a promise breaker, just read his word. It says otherwise. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20, for all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus Christ. Not a no, their yes. Joshua chapter 21, verse 45. Not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. They were all fulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. Psalm 145, verse 13. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. Well, Preston, I, I have done what God has asked me to do before and not been rewarded for it. It's actually a really good point. And that's one of my favorite things about you. You always bring up really good points. It's an interesting point. You have obeyed in times past and God did not reward you. But here would be my question to you. How do you know? How do you know he didn't reward you? Because you're thinking that the only place you can be rewarded is here on earth. So what you're really saying is, in times past, Preston, I have obeyed, but I did not see God reward me immediately here on earth. Okay? I'll agree with that. He doesn't always reward on earth. There's another place he rewards. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. 
all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. Phenomenal chapter in the Bible, Hebrews 11. If you haven't read it in a while, go back and read it. God is saying in his word, I promised these people some things and they died before they received the promise on the earth. He says, they saw the promise off in the distance and they welcomed it. Here's another way to say that. They were ecstatic about it. They were excited that the promise was not here on earth, but in the distance, in heaven. Jesus talked about this. He made it very clear. He talked about both places. Think about this. John 14, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. It's a loaded statement, one of my favorites. I go to prepare a place, not for us, for you. I go to prepare a place for you. So he's talking about then and there. He's talking about heaven. But the same Jesus says, but when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the comforter, to help you while you're on the earth. Jesus addresses both are important. He's not just focused on heaven at the expense of earth. And he's definitely not focused on earth at the expense of heaven. He has both in mind. Listen, we can be rewarded in both places. Here's another way to say it. Any reward you do not receive on earth, you will reap in heaven. You'll reap that reward in heaven. Now think about this for a minute. Because if I had to choose between being rewarded on earth and being rewarded in heaven... I think I would choose heaven. If God came to me and said, I'm going to let you pick where this reward is given, I think I'd choose heaven. Here's why. I see earthly rewards a little bit like someone giving me a mansion on a private island 12 months before a hurricane wipes it out. I'm not being disrespectful. There are many, many people who are experiencing that right now. They know exactly what it feels like to have a really incredible place. But it's almost like they weren't able to afford, to afford the insurance, the hurricane insurance, and so they didn't insure it. So now that it's gone down, they don't have the funds to rebuild it. They got to enjoy it for a while, but now it's gone. That's how I see earthly rewards. Think about this. Jesus even clears this up for us and says, hey, if, if you're kind of on the fence about where to store your treasure, store up your treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Don't worry about amassing rewards on earth. Store them up in heaven. But again, he addresses the rewards in heaven and on earth. He shows us just how generous his heart is. Mark chapter 10, verse 29. Truly, I tell you, Jesus says, no one who has left or given up home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions. He just slides that right in. You notice that? He's like, hey, I want you to know if you give anything up for me, you're going to get a hundredfold return on your kingdom investment and also persecution. And then he says, and in the age to come, eternal life. So Jesus says, anyone who gives up anything for me, anything at all, for me or the gospel, is going to receive a hundredfold return. It may be on the earth. It may be in the age to come. 
in this present age or the age to come. So if you're here and you're frustrated with God because you keep obeying, but you're not seeing his response the way you think you should be seeing his response, maybe, and I'm just submitting this to you in love and a little bit of truth, maybe you should stop being so frustrated about what you can't see and get excited that if you can't see the reward here, it means he's stockpiling it for you there. How can we get frustrated about that? I get it. Yes, maybe you live to see 100 years, but would you rather enjoy a reward for the last 40 of it or for all eternity? Jesus says, I'll clear this up. Store your treasure in heaven. I'm going to reward you. Sometimes I'll reward you here and sometimes there. But I believe when Jesus is saying store it up in heaven, he's really kind of helping us to know we should get more excited about the kingdom rewards, not the earthly ones, because those will pass. Those will go. That leads to point number three. What are his promise rewards for your obedience? What are your promise rewards? What does he promise to give you if you obey? Now, clearly, I can't go through many of the nearly 4,000 promises God makes, and many of them are related to us obeying. I can't go through all of those, but I can read you one passage of Scripture. And if you're in Deuteronomy 26, just flip uh, a couple of pages away from there to Deuteronomy chapter 28. I know some of you know this chapter like the back of your hand. It's a phenomenal chapter to know. But for some of you, it, it may have been a while since you've read this. this. This passage, these 13 verses I'm about to read, are not meant to show you all of the promises that God promises you as rewards if you obey. This passage is simply meant to help you understand the posture of his heart towards you when you do what he asks. So we're going to read 13 verses together. If you have your Bible, I want you to read it in your Bible because your God is saying these things to you. And you know as you get older, if you have to read any more than five verses, you have to use these right here. So I'm going to make it easier for all of us. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1. If you, there, there's that phrase again, if you, fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commands that I'm giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets and breadboards, because everybody wants their breadboard to be blessed, will be blessed. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you will be blessed. The Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. Good, because I hate losing. But look how he conquers them. They will attack you from one direction, but they will scatter from you in seven like chickens with their heads cut off. The Lord will guarantee a blessing on everything you do and will fill your storehouses with grain. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, the Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he swore he would do. Then all the nations of the world will see that you are a people claimed by the Lord and they will stand in awe of you. The Lord will give you prosperity in the land he swore to give your ancestors. 
blessing you with many children, numerous livestock, and abundant crops. The Lord will send rain at the proper time from his rich treasury in the heavens and will bless all the work you do. You will lend to many nations, but you will never need to borrow from them. If you listen to these commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today, and if you carefully obey them, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you will always be on top and never at the bottom. Isn't it interesting that oftentimes as Christians we quote that very verse right there, I'm the head and not the tail, but do you understand that's a conditional statement? We, we say it as though we're entitled to it. God shares it with us as a conditional promise. He promises to make us the head and not the tail if I obey. If I obey. He promises. Now, this is one of my favorite one-liners in the whole message. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down whether you like it or not. Your way will never produce the results or rewards God promises. Your way will never produce the results or rewards God's way promises. Flip over to Luke chapter 5. And this week as I was studying for this message, in point number three, it became very obvious that I was going to be talking very little in point number three, and most of point number three was going to be reading God's word. And I'm not going to lie, I, I did kind of, you know, try and have a, a, a gentle conversation with the Lord about this. Like, Lord, I mean, I need like an illustration or something, you know, just, just a joke, some story, something. And here's what I sense the Lord say, let me speak for myself on this one. You let me speak for myself. Read my word. Let them see who I am and how I do things. Luke chapter 5 is a wonderful picture, maybe one of the best pictures in Scripture of doing things our way compared to doing things God's way. Luke chapter 5, uh, Peter has just gone fishing, and all night, remember his trade, he's a fisherman. The guy can catch fish. He's not like me. I go out and, and I fish. I don't always catch. Peter was a catcher. He wasn't just a fisher. If, if your trade is fishing, you know how to catch fish. You know where to catch fish. You know when to catch fish. You know how to catch fish. Peter spends all night fishing, catches not one thing. Jesus is ministering first thing in the morning, and we pick up in Luke chapter 5, verse 4. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now, go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. Watch this next line. But if you say so. Lord, we fished all night long. We are exhausted. I didn't catch a thing. The fish aren't biting. It's not a full moon. They're just not biting. Don't send us back out. This isn't the time to be catching. We're exhausted. But if you say so, he says, I'll let the nets down again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, the nets began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. I understand for some when we read scripture, it's just a story. This is not a story. 
This is an account of the faithfulness of God. Jesus says, listen, you spent last night doing it your way. How'd that work out for you? That's one of my least favorite questions that God ever asked me. Because I always know whatever I just did wasn't what he asked me to do. Preston, how'd that work out for you? In Peter's case, he says, we didn't catch anything. We fished all night, didn't get a thing. Jesus says, that's okay. He doesn't say, hey, well, let's figure out what happened. He doesn't say, let's dwell on it. Peter, how'd that make you feel? He says, Peter, I know you're tired. Grab your nets, get in your boat, go out a little bit deeper and cast your nets. And Peter says, I can think of a hundred reasons why I shouldn't do this right now. But all I need is one reason to do it. If you say so. If that's what you say, Lord, I'll do it. And Peter goes out, and you know everybody else was fishing too. And I imagine they're not catching either, because if they were catching, they wouldn't be jumping out of their boats to come help Peter get all his fish in the boat. He catches so many fish in his nets, the nets start to tear, and the boat starts to sink. Okay, can you imagine if they had Instagram back then? (laughs) Peter would have been blowing up social media. Look at all these fish. This is amazing. No one's ever caught this many fish in their entire lives. But if he left a hashtag, here's what I think his hashtag would have been. Hashtag, this is what happens when you do things his way. God makes it abundantly clear his heart is to bless you. And some days, just because he wants to, he's going to bless you. You don't even deserve it. But he does, in Scripture, help us understand. It says, Preston, if you're ever going through a rough patch and you don't see me blessing you like I have in the past, I'm going to give you the key to cheating on the test. Here's what you do. Just do what I say. Just do what I say. And if you have to, go back to the last thing I told you to do and go do it. Because if you obey, here's my response. Your nets are going to be so full, son, that you're going to think your boat's going to sink. Because that's what my blessing on your obedience looks like. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Gateway Church, please visit our website at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv.